Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nick Hoffman at the Marist School. Welcome to Tales from the Social Studies Department, the podcast where the students tell you the stories that they wish were on the curriculum. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nick Hoffman at the Marist School. Welcome to Tales from the Social Studies Department, the podcast where the students tell you the stories that they wish were on the curriculum. Hello, my name is Chap. Um, Evan, I'm here. My name is Evan. I'm Joe. And uh, we each got a good little story about history for you. We each we couldn't decide on one topic, so we kind of branched out on our own, and we're gonna do all three of us. We're gonna do a, um, a individual story. Uh, they're all just kind of random stories from history that we all thought were pretty interesting. So, uh, Evan, do you wanna do you wanna start us off, man? Yeah, I can. So. All right, Joe. Evan. So, basically, I did my story on O.J. Simpson. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. And his murder case, yeah, of course. Right. Good part in this. So, this all starts on June 12th of 1994. Yeah. Where his ex-wife and um, it was her, her like, boyfriend at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were stabbed to death in Los Angeles. Ooh. And this murder happened at approximately 10:15 p.m. when Nicole Brown, or when basically 10:15 p.m. Nicole Brown's dog started barking, Ooh. basically signifying that she like died, basically. To yeah. the dog now. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and then, um, so basically O.J.'s point of view was that his butler named Alan Park mm-hmm. buzzed O.J. at 10.55 that night in which she did not answer. And Cato, which was his friend that was staying with OJ, mm-hmm. uh, it was claimed that he saw OJ in his driveway at approximately approximately 11. Mm. And uh, at 11, yeah, he answered the intercom from his butler. So that's, that's what we know from that night. And on June 17th, on 1994, you know, the infamous uh, high-speed highway chase. Chase, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Ford Bronco going like 45. Exactly. And that was his friend, A.C. Cowlings, and he was hidden in the, uh, I think it was like the trunk. So he wasn't driving? He was not driving, no. All right. I did, I did not know that, actually. And he was caught and arrested or detained in his home in Brentwood, California. And this actually obtained a total of 95 million viewers on wow. television at the time. Really? Yeah. Is that one of the most, like, it's got to be one of the most watched events ever? Maybe. I mean, maybe on the news, maybe. I'm not yeah. exactly sure. That's a, that's a lot of a lot of people. <laughs> it is a lot of people, Chad. <laughs> so, <laughs> he was initially charged not guilty, Ooh. and the actual trial started on January 24th, 1995. Hmm. And so basically, OJ and his ex-wife divorced in 1992 after a series of domestic abuse. And the, another infamous moment, Detective Mark Furman finds a bloody glove in Simpson's home. Basically, there was claims that he was framing him and that Furman might have been racist trying to get him arrested. Yeah, yeah. But that was obviously... Glove didn't fit him. Glove didn't fit. No, it didn't. So you didn't do it. That's that, that was a big, big piece of the um, the information. And um, June fifth, 
1995. Of course, O.J. Simpson puts on the glove. It doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. Pivotal moment. There's a there's a theory that he drank a bunch of salt water to inflate his hand. I've heard that same thing. Yeah. yeah. I didn't hear that one. It, what do you think about that? Maybe it could it could he could have done that. I didn't know that like inflates your hand. Well, yeah, because it like it's something with like your blood, and so it like swells up your hand. He also like he didn't really try that hard to fit it all. I don't really know the details, but isn't that right? He sort of like barely put his hand in there and was just like. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not too sure. <laughs> so, on October 3rd, 1995, mm-hmm. <laughs> O.J. Simpson was found not guilty for the for the death. Right, stop banging. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Especially on October 3rd that year, O.J. Simpson was found not guilty of the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. But so so who? Who did it if he wasn't guilty? I'm gonna get to that. Right, I'm gonna get to that. that. That's Sorry. So, <clears throat> so a year later, in the civil trial uh-huh. of 1996, yeah. O.J. Simpson was claimed that he was responsible for the death of the two, and was basically fined like a lot of money. So he claimed responsible, but he in the in the civil case, not in the. Not oh, in the so he said he did. No, it was like you he, he was claimed guilty for the civil case. Um, so what's the civil? What, I don't know. What, I don't know what the civil case is. Civil case is basically like it's not like he didn't do the murder, but he was responsible for it. It was like what? The, <laughs> it was. Uh, you wanna? You wanna? I'm googling. Google. I'm googling. Google uh, yeah, you can carry on. We'll yeah. On. Okay. So basically, yeah, he was char- he was charged not guilty for the actual murder. But he was claimed responsible in the civil case. And here are some conspiracies, some famous conspiracies. Okay, so some famous conspiracies that okay. I found. I'll chat. You want to yeah. share? Uh, okay, so it's it's about liability of one or more parties of injuries. Right. So, so all right, that makes sense. So yeah. he was admitting to injuring them, which makes sense. All right. Alright, continue. Sorry. Alright, so here are some of uh, the famous conspiracies right, right. about who could have killed him. Who done it? So one of the famous ones was was actually OJ's son that did the murder. How old was his son at the time? Uh, I'm not, I'm not look that up. Here, I'll I'll look it up. Yeah, you continue. So his name, his son's name was Jason Simpson. He was believed to be very jealous of his mother, and in a rage he killed her. Because she skipped a planned dinner, and I think the two didn't—they weren't very, or they didn't have like great relations. So, Jason. Yeah, Jason. Is that the uh, son? That's the son of OJ. Yeah. All right, so they were born in 1970. She was born, or he was born in 1970. Jason Simpson. Yeah. So. So he was like 20 something. It's like 20. 20. Uh, so he's like 25 or something? 24, yeah. 24? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And one of the second conspiracies was that OJ actually hired a serial killer to do it. So Clay Rogers, brother of the infamous serial killer, Glenn Rogers, claims that Glenn Rogers uh, was ordered to... St- or, or Glenn Rogers claimed that he was ordered by OJ 
to steal an expensive ring from Nicole Brown and kill her if she got like in the way, basically. <laughs> and basically, this was on like death row. He claimed that this claimed this in death row, but he was in Los Angeles at the same time. He had connections with OJ and his wife, but at the same time, the timing never added up. Yeah, yeah. He was in jail during the murder of OJ. Hmm. Or not, not OJ, uh, his wife. His wife, yeah, yeah. And then another famous one was that the CIA, or the Illuminati. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Talk about a leap. Brainwashed OJ Simpson. Basically, you know the case MK Ultra. Oh, yeah, with the, the, with the, the brainwashing. The LSD stuff. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. So, basically, it was a conspiracy about how the Illuminati brainwashed OJ into killing his wife. Whoa. Which was... Is the Illuminati real? Do you think the Illuminati is real? I, I, I personally think it probably I think is. it was real, and it was a big thing, but I don't think it's got the impact that it used to have. Like, about, like, Beyonce and, like, Kanye, like, leading the Illuminati. Nah, I don't no think way. so. Yeah, no oh, way. I don't believe that. Yeah. And then the last conspiracy I found was that it was a case of mistaken identity. And that OJ was never involved in the case. Okay. Cool. So, any thoughts? I, mean, I have a question. You have a question? Um, get, get close. You know how, what, what was it, 10.15 when the dog started barking? Yes. Does anyone know what OJ was doing from like 10 to 10.55? Or they only found out what he was doing at 10.55 when he was in a, in a car or something? They said something about him going out to a McDonald's. Hmm. But he arrived at his house at 10.55, so... The only witnesses were his butler suspicious. and his friend. So this friend that was there is suspicious. All pro. It was. It's very football suspicious. player. Is going to get McDonald's at 10 o'clock. It's a little odd. At night. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like something we'd do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I personally think it was probably him. You think it was him? Yeah. Because when you brought up the whole like glove thing, how it could salt water, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that makes sense. Because I don't know why a bloody glove would be there unless someone was trying to plant him. So that's uh, uh, that's my take. I have Joe. What? What do you think? I got no more thoughts, but I think it was OJ. You think it was OJ? Yeah. We all come to a verdict. I, I think. think so. I mean, I think it, the glove. Thing. I think it was him. Yeah. I mean. I like it's, it's like a comment. Like there's a lot of stuff pointing toward him. Uh, yeah. All right. All right, Joe, you want to go next? You want me to go? I can go next. All right, Joe. Um, Just go closer. Okay. All right, I'm going to be talking about Vincent Kosuga and the Onion Futures Act, um, which occurred in the middle of the 1950s. Um, so brief, briefly, personal life of Vincent Kosuga. He was born in 1915, um, and he was the son of a Russian Jew, but later converted to Catholicism. Um, but he was sort of an interesting guy already before this whole situation. He was known for carrying a pistol and a billy club with him at all times. Is a billy club those little... I actually didn't look that up, but I'll, I'll I just assumed it. it's... I think it's those things to... Uh... 
like the old cops used to have. And then also he yeah. was he was a licensed pilot and at one point survived a plane crash where his plane ran out of fuel mid-flight. So pretty interesting guy to begin with. Yeah, it's a it's quite the feat. Yeah. Um, but his whole life he was a farmer in Chicago. Um, his main crops were onions, celery, and lettuce. And some of his biggest customers were the U.S. Army and Campbell's Soup. Um, but then later on, I guess he was around, I guess he was in his 40s, he, uh, he started to become interested in trading onion futures. If you guys don't know, futures sort of, it's like an agreement to um, an organized exchange of goods, um, and they're set at a fixed price, at a fixed price, but they're not paid for and delivered until like a later date. Um, and then so he eventually teamed up with a guy named Sam Siegel. I think he, he was also an onion farmer, but um, he sort of played a more minor role. But they, they both came up with a plan to corner the onion market. How so, big is that onion market? I'll get into that. All right, all right, all right. Um, by, by late 1955, they controlled 98% of the onions in Chicago. What? 98%, which 98 percent and just Chicago, um, which at that time was around 30 million pounds of onions that they just had to themselves. Them. They just had to themselves. And at this at this time it was it was pretty much perfectly legal because there's no sort of in the 50s. Yeah, because there's really no like bans or anything for doing this. Um, but then so he he sort of had two plans or schemes to mm -hmm. profit off having like 30 million pounds of onions. The first one was that he convinced onion growers um, in, in the area, I guess, to buy their onions by threatening to flood the market if they didn't. And then after that, they planned to accumulate a bunch of short positions, which is basically when you're anticipating stock is going to decrease. Um, they tried to accumulate a bunch of those on onion contracts. So in 1956, Kosuga and Siegel flooded the market with onions and the value of a 50-pound bag dropped from $2.75 before this to $0.10. Cents. Whoa. Um, and onions became essentially worthless in all of Chicago. The price of a bag um, that you put onions is was actually worth more than the actual onions. So... Many onion farmers were driven into bankruptcy, and onions were tossed into rivers all around Chicago. It's kind of mean, onion farmers. I know. It was, like, it was pretty it was selfish move. How much money did this guy make? Um, he made around $8.5 million. And all legal? To himself. At the time. All legal at the time. So this was 1950, so that was like... 1955. Yeah, so I have it here. Equivalent to around $85 million Whoa, today. That's a, that's a pretty bad Off right of there. onions. So pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but then he had to testify before Congress, and um, Congress proposed the Onion Futures Act, which banned future trading with onions. Just onions? Just onions. So we can go do this with carrots. So you can – that's the only – here, I have it here. As of today, onion futures are the only agricultural futures that are illegal to trade. So, so we could, we could I mean, we could go carrots. do this right now with anything else, basically. Yeah. And There's you no lemons. Do you have a good lemons. No, I don't. Well, unfortunately, I say we just we just level Joe's house and turn all the land into carrots and the carrot farming. 
Is that okay, John? Yeah, if I can join in, yeah. It's well, good on I mean, me. It'll be on your property, so. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, so we'll make I don't know if we'll I'd really some like some. that very much, but. We'll make some. some. Yeah, we'll make $85 million off carrots. So. I mean, if you give me some, yeah, it's good. Right, good with me. Right, sure. Um, let's see what we'll else I got. That. Um, oh yeah, and then 20, in 2010, the law was amended. The Onion Futures Act law was amended to also ban trading futures of motion picture box office receipts. So those what? <laughs> I don't, I do not know what that means, but as like of now, the, those are the only two things where you can't trade futures. So it's motion picture box office receipts. So it's like the according to Wikipedia for a for a motion picture. So I didn't look. Like, I didn't look into that enough. I guess I it's just like thought you go to add that in there. Buy a ticket for a motion picture, and you get yeah, the rest. Like a movie. Right? Yeah, but I don't know how you trade that as a future. I don't know either. I, I we're we're I sixteen and seventeen years old, like so we don't we really know a lot of that works. Um, <laughs> that's about all I got. That's crazy though. No, pretty weird stuff. The onion market. Who would have thunk it? Haven't you got any comments? I've never heard of that. It's very interesting. I hadn't either. I had to look up like really weird stories to find that. So that's fair. That's fair. All right. So that leaves me. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go. So I did mine. I mean, we all know about Monopoly, the board game. Love it. It's a great game. My favorite, my favorite board game, Chris. Really? Favorite board game? Yeah. Not like Risk. I think Risk, Risk is, is the fun. It risk. takes a while though, but so does Monopoly. What, wait, what is what is Risk? It's like, it's like war, a war game, war, war domination. Yeah. yeah. Never heard of it. All right. Hmm. It's it's fun. We'll play it. Um. So we've all heard or played Monopoly before, all right? I mean, it lasts days, creates hmm. arguments with your friends and family. You know, it's actually banned in the royal palace. Really? In England? Yeah. It gets too competitive. Too like competitive. Tear them and apart. the ladies were like unladylike <laughs> in the game, so they like had to ban it. Um, you know, there's 300 different types of Monopoly. But between like Star Wars Monopoly, there's actually a cheaters version that has like cheating built in to the rules, so you can like skip spaces and stuff, and like take extra mm-hmm. money from the bank. You know, you always got the cheater Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not, that's not me though. That's not you, Evan. I won fair and square. All right. We'll see about that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different types between there's Cheese It Monopoly, there's Star Wars Monopoly, there's just Lord of the Rings, everything. And um, it's really grown as a game. But it was invented, I'm doing air quotes right now, because we'll get to that later, by a guy named Charles uh, Darrow, Darrow. And he invented it, I'm doing the air quotes again. Mm-hmm in 1933 and it's actually set in new jersey fun fact uh in a city called atlantic city um and it's nicknamed america's playground now because of how it's based off of monopoly it's like a playground and um now after the game got so much popularity it's now called monopoly city so oh atlantic city is called monopoly city yeah or it's it, that's its nickname i think its official name is still atlantic city but People in Jersey just call them. Are all the places in Monopoly like the like whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm getting to that. Okay. So the darker purple is the cheapest land in uh-huh. Atlantic City, 
and um, as you move toward that dark blue color, that's where you get more expensive. So like, and their price is based off the real life location. So like Mediterranean and Baltic, the two worst. Yeah. Um, those are like in the middle of the city, um, and they're the cheapest land in the actual Atlantic City, um, city, and so because they're in the middle of the city and everything. And then you have like Park Park Place and Boardwalk, which are right on the because Atlantic City's on the coast, and so it's right on the it's right on the coast on um and it has those beachfront locations with the ocean view so that's why it's most expensive and then in real life illinois ave was uh renamed martin luther king jr boulevard in the 80s so they changed that up and then this is where we get crazy this is where it gets crazy so darrow did not create the original idea for the game it was by a woman named lizzie maggie um and she she is credited with the creation of the idea for the game. And Lizzie was an interesting woman. She had a lot of different titles, occupations. Um, she was a typist, news reporter, actress, and author, and a self-proclaimed feminist. So just a few titles she held. And the original name for the game was The Landlord's Game. And it was a creation to criticize capitalism and to support her economic view of Georgism. Georgism is crazy. Never heard of it. It's it's crazy. So Georgism is an economic theory developed by a man named Henry George. And essentially, it's, it's also known as the single tax movement. So there's one tax. And that one tax is on land. So rather than taxing labor, trade, and sales, the government just taxes the land and all the natural resources that come from it. And that's their only form of tax. It's weird. Hmm. I... It's been debunked a bunch of times, but it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, so that's why she created it to show support for that and to criticize, criticize capitalism. And early drafts of the game, so there were two rules. There were two, two different ways to play. There was the monopoly. This is in the landlord's game. There was the monopoly, which is the one we know now, which the goal was to build monopolies to crush your opponent. Which is, you know, that's what you do now. You get all the monopolies and you get all the properties and you just buy a bunch of hotels and overcharge the hell out of everybody. And uh, that's that's uh, that's what we know as it is today. And then there was a version called the prosperity version where everyone gets rewarded when wealth is created. So when one person buys a house, everybody gets um, rights to that property. And so that was – that was another way you could play, kind of like a socialistic mentality there. And it's actually pretty sad how it came about today. So the Parker Brothers, who was a big gaming company back then, they um, they were eventually bought out by Hasbro in like the 90s. But the Parker Brothers bought out Maggie's patent for the game for $500. Yeah. And then they gave credit to Daro for inventing it. Hasbro did? Uh, no, Parker Brothers. And the Parker Brothers eventually got bought by Hasbro in, like, the 90s. They changed up the game a lot, though. Like, I'm looking at the picture of this is what Yeah, no, the, the, the original board was nuts. Yeah. I mean, it was it was, it was was crazy. It was not like – well, because back then, most board games were just – it was in a line. Like, like you know, shoots and ladders? You know, shoots and ladders? Mm -hmm. So all board games were just kind of, like, in that one line. Mm-hmm. But Monopoly was one of the first board games to actually develop the the board kind of yeah. well like the circular motion 
of oh, uh, you know how you go like around the board and everything. <laughs> so I mean, it was revolutionary for sure. Um, <laughs> still a game; it's timeless. You know, you got that. I don't like the electronic version. With the credit cards. Oh yeah, I've had that. I don't like that. I don't like. I, kinda I like, like the money. Like the money. The money is kind of strip. Strip. I think it's a little tedious to count it. Like all you know, like, separate. But don't you feel so That's, cool? Yeah, you like counting it. I mean, it's, it's whatever. It's whatever. I mean, and then the the thing malfunctions. I don't know. I just I didn't know there was this much to Monopoly. I thought it was just a random board game about business. So wait, so who who's on the um who's on the cover of Monopoly? Who's that? Who's that guy? Oh, that guy. So let's look at him. Monopoly. So that's uh. It's actually J.P. Morgan. Oh, oh yeah. That's that's who it's supposed to be, Mr. Monopoly. It's based off J.P. Morgan. Right. Um. Makes sense. So why do you think she uh gave up the patent for only five hundred bucks? Did she just think it was like not that good of a well, game? Well, let's see. It was. That's, I mean, this was in. I guess that's worth a lot more now. Yeah. Let me let me see how much that's for inflation. Was this like the 1920s? And it's about seven grand, which I mean, in all honesty, she got screwed. Yeah, because <laughs> that this is a multi-million-dollar game, and she had a lot of she she was known for kind of like making a bunch of patents and then selling it. But I, I think she was pretty pissed off about this specific incident, especially since they just gave the creation rights to this random guy. So, dang, I know it's pretty sad. I, I although people are starting to recognize her as the true inventor of the game. Like when I was doing research for this, the first four headlines were Monopoly, the woman who invented it. So. Kind of had to dig. Was that her job? Was she just an inventor? She well, she had like, a lot of different jobs. Yeah. She wrote poems, and she was a typist, like I said, news reporter. Uh, she was a feminist. Um, she wrote short stories. So she, she she had a lot going on. She did a lot of different stuff. So this uh, was around... Swiss Army Knife. Like early 1900s. Yeah, this was early 1900s. Um... And, I mean, I'm not here to discredit Charles, Charles Darrow. He was the guy who they gave the rights to because he did put a lot of twists into it, like the community chest and all that good stuff, the pieces that we know and love today. And he he was the one that based it out of uh, New Jersey. But so you, I, I wish they were kind of both recognized instead of just the one guy. So, yeah. Yeah. Any um any closing dots? Got any? Um I don't I think I think this is a good place to end. Yeah. I mean, I had a blast doing this because I was sitting in the car with my mom and I was like, I don't know what to talk about. She was like she's talking about Monopoly because we play Monopoly as a family a lot. I've never thought about Monopoly more than just like what 
the fact that it was ori- originally like a critique of uh, yeah, it was supposed to be um, like a capitalism, a way to teach people how That's messed true. up yeah. uh, monopolies are. Which um, you know, during the progressive era, which we learned about, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of legislation to limit that. And so Gilded Age as well. Well, yeah, this is well, based off from, the Gilded Age. Yeah. yeah. JP Morgan. Yeah. All right, I think that's gonna do it for us here. Um, we had a blast doing this. Uh, big thanks to Dr. Hoffman for letting us get in the studio and hash this out together. Uh, Evan, Joe, any last any last words? Yeah, nothing. Nothing from Evan. Nothing. nothing from Evan. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and we will see y'all next time. <clears throat> Spaceships from far away were already here on the earth today. Just so small that you wouldn't believe. Travel at speeds that we couldn't conceive. That means one could slip right by, undetected to the human eye. Try to catch when you wouldn't stand a chance because they're just so small yet so advanced. So tiny spaceships under our noses. Just so small we never noticed. So why are we looking up out the sky? A tiny spaceship. Tales from the Social Studies Department is a podcast of the Marist Podcasting Experiment and executive produced by Dr. Nick Hoffman. All views expressed herein are the views of the podcaster and not of Marist School, Dr. Hoffman, or the Social Studies Department at Marist School. Thank you. Tales from the Social Studies Department is a podcast of the Marist Podcasting Experiment and executive produced by Dr. Nick Hoffman. All views expressed herein are the views of the podcaster and not of Marist School, Dr. Hoffman, or the Social Studies Department at Marist School. Thank you.